Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. On this episode, Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton talks with Judith Glazier of Benchmark Communications. Judith is an organizational anthropologist. What's that, you ask? Well, let's join Teresa for this discussion to find out more about Judith and conversational intelligence. Welcome to the Change Management Reviews podcast. Today's guest is Judith Glazier of Benchmark Communications. Judith E. Glazier is an organizational anthropologist. She is one of the most pioneering and innovative change agents, consultants, and executive coaches in the consulting and coaching industry and is the world's leading authority on conversational intelligence, lead-centric leadership, and neuroinnovation. Additionally, she is a best-selling author of seven business books, including her newest bestseller, Conversational Intelligence, How Great Leaders Build Trust and Get Extraordinary Results. Through the application of the neuroscience of we to business challenges, Judith shows CEOs and their teams how to elevate levels of engagement, collaboration, and innovation to positively impact the bottom line. So, Judith, welcome to our podcast. Oh, Teresa, it's great to be here and to talk about the thing that I love, conversational intelligence. Yes, I had the opportunity, as I shared with you before, to uh, see one of your introductory webinars on the conversational intelligence, and I was so impressed by it and also so impressed by how dedicated and how much work you've put into it um, And I'm, uh, that I, I was excited to have you as a guest on our show. So thanks for coming. Oh, you're quite welcome. You're quite welcome. So for our listeners out there, Judith, um, why don't you explain, you know, what conversational intelligence is, how how it came to be, and whether it's a universal concept? Well, I'm glad that you asked actually those three questions together because um, I've spent, I would say, literally a whole lifetime focusing mm. on conversations, you said, what is it, where did it come from, and uh, is it universal? I will tell you now, after taking conversational intelligence to different countries, including Dubai, China, uh, South America, South Africa, uh, Guatemala, Mexico, um, I, I can't even tell you all the countries that I've taken it to, and uh, we now have 75 different countries, people studying with me from 75 different countries, so we know it's universal, and um, to discover that this is another con- it's another intelligence, just like we think of intellectual intelligence. Howard Gardner came up with seven intelligences. We have emotional intelligence, social. Now everybody puts the word intelligence after something. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's coming. It's it's showing up everywhere, and um, so it is a universal uh, intelligence. It's hardwired in every human being. Everyone is born with it. No one is not because it's connected in with things that are part of what makes a human being human. And so the FOXP2 gene is a language gene. Everybody has it. Every human being has it. And the question is, if we have it, what do we do with it? And mm. so that's, that is what this is. It's helping us identify it's universal. Everybody has it. And now how do we develop it? How do we cultivate it? How do we enable people to um, discover that, Conversational intelligence is what connects human beings one to another, and it impacts our mind, our heart, our, our chemistry, um, and who we become. Our past, present, and future is hardwired through our conversations with others. So whether you're a student just going into school, whether you're someone who's going into business, 
knowing this particular beautiful intelligence and how to cultivate it in others with every conversation is, in, for me, and I'm impassioned by it. I mean, I love it. And I see the impact of uh, working with thousands of people around the world. Once people start to develop it and cultivate it, it's life-changing, it's game-changing, it's universal-changing. Yes, I can feel the passion. And also on your website, um, you can see the passion in the picture of you, uh, you know, sitting there with the group. So it's um, it's amazing. Some of the facts that you brought to light in your webinar, you know, about how people immediately start to lock into each other as soon as they become, you know, within a few feet of each other was, was just amazing to me. Mm. And we didn't know that before. And right. Right, and it, it within 0. 0.07 seconds, uh, when human beings are in within 10 feet of each other, their energy fields are connecting. And energy fields are very strong. They come from the mind, the heart, the body. We haven't studied them. Well, I, uh, that's not fair to say because as an organizational anthropologist, I think almost in every culture, there's some form of um, energy discussion that comes up, mm-hmm. in it, right, about, you know, and how we connect in now there's a place to have it. I, my my books were rejected so many times over mm-hmm. the last 30 years. And um, it was because people didn't know. In fact, the book publisher said, where do we put it on the shelf? It, it, you can't put it about energy. You can't put it about neuroscience and leadership. Nobody, There's no place in the library for that. And wow. there, there is now. <laughs> there definitely is now. <laughs> so Yes, it's really exciting. Um, and as you speak more about it, um, you know, what does science into conversations? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating because I found, even though the book publisher said, you know, people don't want to put the two together, I have found from the time I started to introduce anything that had to do with science, and I started my company over 35 years ago, and I was experimenting way back then, um, I, I have pictures in the books that I was um, putting together and actually using with clients where they wanted to learn more about, as back then it was about sales training and, you know, how do you become a better leader and so forth. And I have those books that I put together for some of my clients. And I need to say this because I'm so proud of it. One of my <laughs> clients, I, I am so proud of it, truthfully. Um, U.S. Tobacco was one of my clients. And they continued to, they developed an institute um, around conversational intelligence, the Jack Afric Institute, um, and that was 35 years ago. I also um, uh, brought it to other companies, and Clarol was one of them, uh, and, and companies like that that are very big companies, and um, these companies have had this program for 30 years or 35 years. So Beringer Engelheim is an example. I just spoke with them, and they said they literally had the same program. So... Um, what does it mean to bring neuroscience into conversations? Tell me <laughs> about it. Right. It, it. right, especially a pharmaceutical company that understands, you know, what's going on in science. But it wasn't because of that. It's because of the value that they found that it had. So um, when you bring neuroscience into conversations, you get to see the invis- make the invisible visible. Mm. You get to see what happens at the moment of contact in that 0.07 seconds. You get to see how quickly the brain can be closed down because something that you've said or how you've said it triggers the amygdala. It triggers the lower brain, the primitive brain. The two together close down your your uh, prefrontal cortex, which is where you have 
wisdom and insight and strategy and foresight and all of these beautiful things that make us at the epitome of being human. And that gets closed down. The oxytocin that would have come from that as we interact with people gets turned off and instead we activate this like a, a spraying of cortisol into our brain. And that's the picture that I want people to see uh, mm-hmm. because it, it, it really does. It sprays the brain. It locks down that part of our brain which has the exquisite ability to connect in the deepest of ways. And it moves us into a place of fright. And uh, it also closes our sight, meaning that we become so focused on protecting ourselves that we can't connect with another human being. We're thinking inside, what do I need to do to protect? And how, how do I do that? And we resist or we close down. And so we've literally taken human beings that, and it is an intelligence, we take human beings that have a great high level of intellectual capability, and it's like we turn down, we dial down that exquisite intelligence and put ourselves to focus on ourselves and not the other person or not what we can co-create together. And so uh, understanding that science, um, I, wherever I go, people are fascinated by it. It it's, is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it really is fascinating. You know, as you speak, I do, you know, I am getting visions of, you know, my brain getting sprayed in cortisol and uh, mm-hmm. shutting down. And, you know, we've, we've read about the emotional um, aspects of this, but to have the science that backs it up mm-hmm. is really phenomenal. It is. It is. And the more I'm learning, I'm in a PhD program studying more and more of this. And um, I cannot believe what's happening in terms of really translating what I've been saying for 35 years. There's research now that's being done that is proving what I'm saying that was in these, you know, in these books years ago that people just didn't believe it's possible. And now there's such a receptivity for it because, and I'll say why I think, and that is that it neutralizes mm-hmm. the conversation when it's universal. And, and I say, well, you're really selfish. We're all selfish. I say, mm-hmm. you don't listen. We all don't listen. This is not something that's, and, and with all due respect to DISC and Myers-Briggs and all these things that talk about the four quadrants, we all, all our brains have for the, those four quadrants. We're not just one or the other. And this mm-hmm. opens up that and gives it more meaning, that how these parts of our brains fit together and work together uh, or how they cannot work together is giving us a sense that we all have all of these attributes that we've assigned you know, to different people, we all have them. And then it's how to make them assets, how to use them, how to work them together. And conversations are how it happens. Right. That's really amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in your in your webinar, also one of the concepts that uh, you brought up was around uh, people who are, quote, unquote, in cortisol or in oxytocin. And um, I'm wondering how can people like you and me really see that somebody is, uh, getting their brains sprayed in, in cortisol or uh, getting a lot of oxytocin at the same time. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, you said something that is important, that you can have both uh, oxytocin and uh, cortisol taking place at the same time because unlike we talk about things being either or, in the brain they're simultaneous. In fact, I came up with a word called simultaneity. Mm. And so that's one of the many, I have a Wikipedia right now at the capital W-N-N-E with the new terms that we've associated with this science because as we get new terms, 
like words or phrases. Words create worlds. Yeah, we both have a word that we're using, but in our brain, we've created pictures associated with that word. And my mm-hmm. pictures and your per- pictures might be very different. So we each create a different world. And when we have opposite ideas, um, that it can cause, again, that extra spray of cortisol because I think I might be um, arguing with you when, in fact, we, we need to work at sharing more. I call it double-clicking um, mm. on words. So that's another word that becomes part of has become part of our program. And it's an action that, that we can learn that can literally change the lives of human beings. I just got off of a, a conversation with some of our graduates and heard the story about a, a, a son and a mother that got caught in a conversation that was horrible for them, and for nine months they wouldn't speak to each other. And uh, the coach that had just been through conversational intelligence worked with them on double-clicking on something. And when they discovered that, uh, in fact, they had such different pictures of what was going on, um, that was, I, it was like a game-changer for them. And they were able to heal a problem that they had had for nine months. And so both cortisol and oxytocin can happen at the same time um, because that is what, does exist in our brain. We don't have the oxytocin being turned off. In our brain, as we're interacting with human beings, we're getting a little bit of the oxytocin, a little bit of the cortisol. And um, so when we uh, learn to regulate with another human being, so a conversation between you and I, if I say something to you that is an is a attribute, I, I attribute something to you, and it's a judgment, and it feels awful, you're going to get a spray of cortisol and you're going to close down, right? And I didn't mean to do it. I didn't know it was a bad word, but you said you can see it. You can see a person going from eyes open and arms open to closing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, could, you could see the change in the look on their face. Sometimes the skin changes. Sometimes the eyes water up. And so mm-hmm. people that study this with me, my, my people from all over the world, it's amazing what we learn to do to keep ourselves in a calm state, because when we're calm, then our visual sight literally is more expansive. This is part of what we also learn in this beautiful science. And so training ourselves, um, practicing being calm, and um, enabling ourselves to stay in that open state helps us to downregulate, again, another word in our vocabulary, Mm -hmm. downregulate the cortisol, but it might be floating around because it's never 100% off. And up-regulating the oxytocin so that we can connect with other human beings and literally read their bodies, their mind. I literally say we're, we start to read a mind and a body when, mm. we, learn, when we learn this um, science. We see things differently. The world looks bigger. Um, we interpret better what's going on for human beings. And we can learn to co-regulate, which is to, if, if we've noticed we've used words that really have... Uh, brought out the worst in someone and they've closed down, knowing what words, and we have beautiful tools to do this with, for people to learn what not to say and what to say and what to do and not to do, to literally be able to bring back more of that oxytocin. And we now know, this is new research, that when uh, we used to think that cortisol controlled the oxytocin because it was stronger, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm fearful that that had more power over me. Now we know that when human beings support each other, show support, care, concerning, um, being concerned for others, um, giving them compassion, and so forth, that that act actually enables us to, and this is something that might be epigenetic, meaning that it might be something that gets passed along from generation to generation, that we can literally learn by giving 
uh, a good support and warm feelings to people teach our brain how to downregulate the cortisol and upregulate the oxytocin. That's amazing. Yes, it is amazing. Because that is really amazing. Right. Historically, we know because survival of the fittest, we came from animals, that is what we thought our brain was. It was mostly about protection. Now we're at a turning point in the history of the world, and we're actually learning that epigenetically, that if we give people more support and concern and help and empathy, that we are now activating an ability in our brain to have more of the ability to downregulate the cortisol. That's incredible. It's incredible, and it sounds like the rationale for a lot of the soft social sciences and mindfulness and uh, so many mm-hmm. other techniques and practices that, you know, we learned to do or participated in but never had really the data for it. That's right, exactly. And now we're at a time, because of the advances in being able to see the fMRIs and, and CAT scans mm-hmm. and PET scans and so on, we get to see what's happening, and so we can match it up. And we know that this is not uh, woo-woo, that this is real science. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not science fiction. It's real science. Right. We, we can toss the woo-woo out for a change on this. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So um, given what you were saying about the cortisol and the oxytocin uh, and what that looks like, um, I also remember you speaking about the three levels of conversation. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on those those things and how they relate to uh, the levels of conversation? Yeah, well, the, the, the three levels of conversation uh, is something that I have, again, been observing. I was trained in one of my earlier uh, fellowships that um, I had to learn how to observe what was happening in front of me. And as I did that, I noticed that... Um, there's a push and a pull energy that occurs when people are in a healthy conversation. Somebody mm-hmm. talks, right, and they tell things, and then somebody asks. So telling is pushing and asking is pulling. And I notice that those two go together. I start to look at people that have unhealthy and then healthy conversations. And the healthy ones were a nice flow back and forth of, um, of the two push and pull. And I noticed um, that when somebody got stuck in just telling that, the, the conversation started to break down. And you could mm. see the behavior that went from a friendly behavior to something different. And so I started to look and just record and take notes, and, and all of a sudden I started to notice, well, first of all, these patterns are really very interesting, push and pull, uh, tell and ask. And then I said, hmm, sometimes I'm noticing something else happening, and that is where there's a lot of energy that goes behind the telling and asking. And I said, well, what could that be? And I said, well, advocating is stronger than telling. And inquiring is stronger than asking. And I said, maybe that's a different level of conversation. So I marked it down and started to continue to study it. And then, you know, I started to look at other things. And I I do spend a lot of time on the first two because they're more prevalent in companies mm-hmm. in our lives, right? We know about persuasion, which is the, I ended up calling that, not, it's level two, positional, which we all know. It's persuasion. And we want... We want to persuade people to think the way we think, and we want to win. We've been taught to do this. We've been rewarded to do it. And so that was kind of my anchor was the middle one, the positional one, because I know that that's where people get stuck in companies. And so I said, okay, let me look back at the first one. Hmm, that could be transactional because we do a lot of telling and asking. And I said, what's that for? And I said, that's for confirming what we know. Um, 
right? It's a lot more because I'll tell and ask and you'll tell me this is what it is and I'll ask you again and then I get confirmed. So I'm saying I'm confirming what I know. That's fascinating, right? And uh-huh. so I got the two, the first two first and I said, when people are unhealthy, can they be unhealthy and unhealthy? I kept asking myself questions where I didn't have answers. And I learned that level two, transactional, ask and tell, um, is the very basic level. And in many companies, in many families, people don't get out of level one. I'm sorry, did I say level two? It's level one. And and when you're not healthy, um, you might get stuck in tell, sell, yell, because you're going to be doing more telling. So I started to find these very clever ways of describing it to people. I found that I could go around the world and use these terms, and people recognized exactly what I was saying. So level one, transactional, confirm what you know, tell and, tell and ask. Um, when it's good, it's wonderful. When it's bad, then you fall into um, uh, the tell, sell, yell syndrome. And then I went into the level two, which is the positional. When you're doing it well, it's, per, it's uh, persuading and advocating and, and um, advocating and inquiring, and it's done all over the world. When you aren't doing it well, you're addicted to being right. And uh-huh. so all of a sudden these things began to take, it was like music, and music to my own ears actually, because it was, I knew there was a system that was emerging and I said, so what else is there? I asked myself a question for it and, and I didn't have an answer at the time. I did a lot of dreaming and studying and observing and I started to find in history especially, because I'm an organizational anthropologist, that uh-huh. there was a higher level, a higher level that appeared in every culture I studied, in every religion I studied. And it was a place where there was like a, a, an eye on the forehead. Uh-huh. And, and that was like the Buddha. That was like the person that could ask questions that were bigger than life when we didn't have answers. And so I started to jot down this. It came from my anthropology. And I said, oh, asking questions for which you don't have answers. Listening to connect. And I started to come up with all these beautiful terms, which are now called conversational essentials, that when you get into level three, it's called transformational conversations. And it's where you, you, where you actually create the, the, um, um, the rules of engagement, where you open it up so you're non-judgmental. And I created listen, and listen to Connect, asking questions for which you don't have answers. This became part of the language of what is now level three and what the aspiration in many companies when I study with them or many leaders is to say, how do I get to level three? Because it opens up the prefrontal cortex. It opens up, you have to have trust to get there. And when you create a sense of trust, then the brain feels comfortable to open up chemically, if you can believe it, that just by hearing and setting those stages of, of, of um, uh, down-regulating cortisol, up-regulating oxytocin, neutralizing the conversation, um, sharing for mutual success, there are certain things that we do to build trust so that this part of our brain opens up and that became level three. And... The key is it's not knowing something. It's asking questions and, and discovering what you don't know you don't know. And when I put the three together, it made like a, a trilogy that regardless of where I went around the world, people understood it. In any language that's been translated, people get it. That's wild. Yeah. It really yeah. is. You must have been so excited, like feeling this emerge um, and come together. And, and the most exciting place that it came together, I have to say, is when I was in Dubai mm-hmm. and I had 450 people in the room and they had headsets on it was being translated. And I was doing the science and the guy in the back was like, you know how you lower your brain, slow down, slow down, because they had to think of how to put oxytocin and cortisol and all these things into place for people in Dubai. And mm. I, 
I I did get a standing ovation for it. I was the keynote speaker, and after it was over, I had people coming over to me to talk, and one guy came over, and he got close, and, and I thought I put out my hand to shake his hand, and he said, no, we don't, we don't touch women, interestingly enough. And he said, I just have to thank you, and I said, thank you for what? And he said, you just translated the Koran into science. Oh, wow. Right. That's, wow. That's when I knew that I had really touched onto something that was not only universal, it had been with us forever and that long ago. And the more I studied other religions and looked at, at Joseph Campbell's work and looked at the Kabbalah and looked at, at, at translating what's going in, putting religion side by side, there's so much about how we listen and how we connect, whether it's Catholicism and whether it's Orthodox and, and or not. I'm finding that people have been talking about this for so long, but didn't take the walls down to compare what was going on inside of different religions. But so much of the heart of what makes a religion a religion or uh, spirituality spirituality is understanding how we connect with other human beings, understand how that connection can accelerate us or bring us higher or lower. And spirit is, is to bring out our spirit. And so spirituality mm-hmm. is wanting to come into business for so long, and now there's a platform for it. Yes, there certainly is through this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially even the, just the concept of energy and mm-hmm. making that so tangible. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, is amazing. It really mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. So when you're uh, working with your clients, uh, what are some of the specific challenges that you help them solve? Um, it's how to come together and, and turn conflict into conversations and mm-hmm. how how easy it could be because many people get frightened. Um, people get into conflict. They don't know how to face somebody else and work it through. And so I've come up with some conversational essentials that are actually making this so easy. Words like listening to connect, for example, it's an essential. And um, what it's different than listening to understand. Listening to understand is confirming what you know, and that's level one. And so listening to connect is to move into level three. And so... That's how I've turned this work into something that makes it easy. Um, I just got off the phone with a, a number of people who have come from our program. We have a couple of thousand um, this year. And it's amazing how they say things like, listen to Connect, it's catchy. Um, asking questions for which you don't have answers. It, it, it gives people tools, double-clicking, um, things like that. It gives people basic tools that are not basic. They sound basic because... As we learn them, they are so um, eye-opening and heart-opening, mm-hmm. right, that it gives people, we call them essentials because they are, it's like breathing, that, you know, that we want to help you breathe. I call one of our, one of our uh, in our program we have the word aspirations, that people need to move from goals to aspirations mm-hmm. and because it helps all of us strive for something that we want to create in the future together and aspire. To aspire means to breathe and and so these are the things that, that I've brought into companies that help people. It's a new language. Um, they're new terms. Um, we get to put new definitions out in the world. So, for example, collaboration in the dictionary means cohorting with the enemy. And mm. co-creating, which is level three, is not. It's something different. It's not about enemy at all. It's about how I can help you and you help me. And when our energy fields connect and we do feel trust and we do find our brain opening up, we also do find that neuroinnovation, that other word that you described when you described me, that it that we actually start to have a whole level of connectivity of our brain and we are sharing in an energetic way 
things that are not even conscious to us. And mm-hmm. it sees us, sees us with new ideas that we never thought were possible. And so that's what I bring into companies. That's what transforms companies. That's what creates an appetite for conversations, even if they're difficult. Well, congratulations. It's such an achievement, and it's fascinating work. Fascinating. Mm, thank you. Yeah, really it's, fascinating. It's enriching, I have to say. It's very enriching, <laughs> and, and, and I know that people that have more level three conversations actually extend their life because it awakens the brain and mm-hmm. gives us, gives us uh, new ways to think about the world and, um, and challenges us so that being 100 is not even uh, a thought that we couldn't have. We often have that thought. So that's what I love so much about this, yeah? Yep. Interesting. Now, your coaching program, um, tell us a little bit about that because that's quite a, an accomplishment and it seems like you're really um, spreading the word of conversational intelligence through it. Yeah, so what is happening is that when we first, last year when we first introduced it, we never thought we'd get the response we did. We had 12,000 people that listened in um 880-something signed up, and we had 250 people certify with us that went through the whole program. This year, we had 15,000 people listen, mm. and we now have uh, 500 more people that signed up and doubled the amount of people in our certification. So we are finding that people are coming from 75 countries around the world, and um, the I just got off the phone talking to some of them in our program. Not only do they go through the program, but they've built friendships, uh, learning groups that we have 36 small groups at, in, in certification and um, what people, they want to stay together because we are empower, we have coaches that are not only building businesses that they never expected, but empowering each other to, to have breakthroughs. And that's, to me, extraordinary, what I'm seeing globally. It's amazing. It so, is amazing. And That's we call it, the, the program is called, by the way, the program is called Conversation, it's CIQ for Coaches. Ah. And, yeah, so it's, uh, if you go online, www.ciqcoach.com uh, is the actual um, site to go to. Uh, ciqcoach.com, you'll find out all about it. And um, we welcome people. We love having people from all over the world. And um, uh, that's been so enriching because it breaks down the, again, it's that universal. People are finding right. out that it's very universal and how to, uh, you know, how to speak with people about it in different countries. It's just, I'm learning as much from them as they, they are from me, I think. That's fascinating. And, you know, um, I'm going to be looking forward to hearing more as you, as you develop even more mm-hmm. uh, insights and learning. I can tell by how your mind is, working, mm-hmm. you're firing on multiple cylinders and all the curiosities there. So I'm sure we're going to have more and more insights from you uh, Absolutely. over time here. Absolutely. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm back in studies. I'm getting another degree. And everything that I'm learning, I'm sharing with people in real time. So it's, oh, it's, uh, it's fabulous. Yeah, it's really wonderful, Teresa. So thank you for uh, your interest in, in this program. Is there anything else that we can close out with? I think you've covered it. Um, I really okay. just want to make sure that people, you know, do get a chance to go to your website and, you know, get curious about the conversational intelligence because, again, I've I've built my own coaching programs and uh, been a management consultant for quite a few years, and I feel like it's one of the things that is a unique tool set that can really make a high-impact difference for clients. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anything else 
that I've experienced in my whole life when I landed on conversations and how to elevate the quality of conversations and what it does and, and the neuroscience. There's no, I, I am, uh, I wake up in the morning early, I go to bed late at night, I get on and I read, and I'm just so fascinated by it. So, um, you know, if people want to go to the, uh, the CIQcoach.com, you will find everything about the program. And uh, I encourage people to do it because it's just, when I watch what people are doing with it and how it's expanding their business and how it is taking them to places they never thought they could go, I am thrilled that even though it took me a long time to get to put this all together, um, I started when I was 11 and reading <laughs> medical books and it took me a long time, but boy, you know, it's worth it to see the power that it puts into the hands of coaches and consultants and, you know, people that really want to make a change in the world. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And um, I'll have whatever you're having. I'll take a bottle of that. Uh, it's a conversational cocktail is what we call it. <laughs> you have the name for it. That's great. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's great. That's great. Okay. Well, thanks again, and I'll look forward to getting some updates uh, from you in the near future. Wonderful. Thanks so okay. much for your interest, and uh, look forward to our next conversation. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, listening to Teresa Moulton of Change Management Review and Judith Glazier of Benchmark Communications. Be sure to check out our website at changemanagementreview.com. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and join us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.